Welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my co-hosts... Carol. Matt. Mel. And are you guys ready to, to funk it up? Do you feel like funking it up? Funking it up? I am ready to fuck it up. No, funk. Funk, huh? Funk, funk it up. Huh? Grab your tr- it up. I'm ready to grab your trombones and saunter Uptown down... Funk it up. uh, Uptown funk it up. Saunter down to New Orleans and making obnoxious racket that people call music, apparently. I'm basically the British guy from the episode of Treme who's like, I don't like this city or the music or the food. <laughs> oh my god. Someone throw Matt's mic in the river. Seriously. Really? Take mic and throw it in the river. That's my thoughts about Treme, but we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> uh, first news, HBO News. The Deadwood movie is officially in production. Hooray! What does that mean? Yay! They are filming right now. Oh, okay. Did they get everybody? They got Ian McShane, Timothy Oliphant, Molly Parker, Paula McElveson, John Hawks, Anna Gunn, Dayton Kelly, Brad Dourif, Robin Weigert, William Sanderson, Kim Dickens, and Gerald McGrady. Is that everybody? <laughs> no, there's no Richardson. Well, I mean, they can't get him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, did you I say know. Did you say E.B. Farnham? Yeah, William Sanderson. Okay. Yeah, right. Okay, so that is basically everybody who isn't dead. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was gonna say who's either whose character is still alive or whose actor is still who's... alive. I'm surprised the doc is still alive after this much time. True. Not the ca- not not the actor. I mean the character. The character, yeah. He looked like he was on his last legs. Right. Yeah. We get a little bit of plot details. It says here, in the film, original characters from the show are reunited after 10 years to celebrate South Dakota's statehood. According to HBO's release, formal rivalries are reignited, alliances are tested, and old wounds are reopened as all are left to navigate the inevitable changes that modernity and time have wrought. So it is a time jump of 10 years. Wow. Okay. So that's cool. Yeah. I wonder if Jewel will be in it. And what about... um? Lucretia Marchbanks, Aunt, Aunt Lou. I'd like oh, to see Aunt Lou again. Mm, mm. Was the general part of that cast? And no, he wasn't listed. Oh. Came out. Our microphone what, came out. I just put it back in. What about, uh, what if, Matt, what, if, she, Matt? What, if Aunt, yes. what if Aunt Lou brings a trombone? Are you going to hate her? No, it's fine. <laughs> if, Aunt, if Aunt Lou wants to play trombone, Aunt Lou can play trombone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what about, um... Um, oh, who was the Chinese? The, uh, Mu Wu. Mr. Wu. Uh, Mr. Not Wu. listed, but I'd like to see okay. him again, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would hate to see all the people of color in the whole thing just not be, you know, dealt with at all. Oh, wait. Point. Newspaper man is in jail, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Is he really? In real yeah. life? Yeah. He's like a, he's a pedophile. I knew he, there were accusations. I just didn't know that he was actually. Oh, I think. Maybe maybe he's not. I don't to, know. to jail time. Wait a minute, I'll, newspaper man, as in uh, Jeffrey Jones, the um, the one who was always going around everywhere. Oh, the walking really? club guy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, sorry to hear that. Uh, that's awful. Maybe he's not in jail. Hmm. Just, uh, just sentenced. He was accused of soliciting a fourteen-year-old to pose for nude fo- photographs. Oh, you pleaded uh, no contest to a felony charge. You got five years probation. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, gross. A requirement to register as a sex offender. So I did you read? So, did you he read? Was arrested his name? twice for failing to update his sex offender status. Yeah, his name is Jeffrey Jones. Mm-hmm. So did you uh, 
No, he was, he was not on your cast list. Not on my cast list. I feel like he's probably ostracized at this point. He should be. That's gross. One would think. One would think. Uh, next bit of news: HBO is co-producing the upcoming BBC drama series *His Dark Materials*, which is based on the trilogy of young adult fantasy novels *The Golden Compass*. Subtle Knife, The Amber Spyglass. This is currently in production in Cardiff, Wales. It's going to be at least two seasons, each of eight episodes. And originally, it was just a BBC production, but now HBO is co-financing and co-producing so that they have worldwide distribution rights, which is good because I don't know how much money the BBC has. Despite being a large organization, I don't know how much money they throw at giant fantasy television shows, but HBO seems to have deep pockets, so... I don't know. Has anyone read the read the book or seen the first movie, The Golden Compass? I've heard about the the book and stuff, but I've never. Yeah, I heard about it. I also don't know it. I was going to say, didn't they do a movie already on it? But they did. It was not successful. Okay, so they're doing a TV series based. I mean, is it part of that movie or is it? Uh, it sounds like they're separate. Or? Separate that they are doing another adaptation, another oh, okay. shot at adap- adapting the three novels. I know that there's three novels. There's prequel novels in in the works. At least one was written. There may have been a short story or two about this world. I know that it has some con- uh, controversy regarding uh, the plot. Sort of, kind of. It's about kids killing God, but I don't think it's the Christian God. It's more about um a world suppressed by an organization and that they're worshiping a deity and they're trying and i guess the heroes try to overthrow the deity but i had heard it was like an atheist chronicles of narnia <laughs> yeah i think that's fair <laughs> yeah yeah oh uh update there's no reason that jeffrey jones can't be in deadwood the movie because he was cast in deadwood after the whole child porn thing deadwood the series Oh, Child really? thing was in 2002, and Deadwood started in 2004. Wow, okay. So, I don't know. <laughs> hmm. They gave him a pass last time. Oh, okay. <laughs> Perhaps they will have an intimacy counselor on set, because this has been making the news recently that HBO is taking welcome steps to make sex scenes safer for actors across its programming by hiring an intimacy counselor for every show going forward. This article says actress Emily Mead, who plays a sex worker turned porn star on the drama series The Deuce, prompted the change after she approached the show's creators and producers about installing an advocate purely for the sexual scenes on set. That's when the network brought on Alicia Rodas, the associate director of Intimacy Directors International, a nonprofit that wants to normalize a high standard for directing intimacy and sexual violence to prevent abuse and harassment. Rodas counseled the cast and crew of The Deuce during the second season. The pilot program was so successful that HBO confirmed on Thursday that an intimacy coordinator will be on set during any and all sexually intimate moments for all of its television series and films going forward. Great. I actually saw an interview or heard an interview on a podcast, I guess with her, and what she was saying made a lot of sense. She was saying that because that particular series, you end up with a lot of actors who are day players and have to do these very intimate scenes that they're walking into a set that they don't know with people they don't know. And um, she just felt that it was, and, and she doesn't know them and here she has to do these scenes with them. And uh, <clears throat> she has felt it was a very vulnerable situation for both parties and uh, made perfect sense. 
Yeah. It's not like it's not like on a movie where um or even a TV show where it's the same person all the time or same couple people. Um she was having to deal with a lot of one day players. Yeah. That makes total sense. And uh, the article went on to compare the role of the intimacy counselor with that of a stunt coordinator, saying it's it's just it's no different than having another expert on hand to make sure that everyone is safe. It's just a different right. kind of safe. Yeah. So I think that's really cool. Uh, I did hear about season one of Westworld. There was an orgy scene. Which wasn't that. It wasn't, really wasn't much of anything. I mean, of course, I, I'm kind of tainted by watching Spartacus. But I didn't think that the orgy was any big deal. But maybe when it was being filmed, it was a big deal because there was some controversy about that. And some people had some things to say. What is up with those Roman shows and the orgies anyways? Those Romans had a lot of orgies. They sure did. <laughs> All you would need is one real jerk to mess, you know, to really make things uncomfortable. Yes. And there's usually a jerk somewhere in the in the staff. There's always that one person that you work with. <laughs> Hanging in a trim watching people sashay. talk about Treme. Yes. Which originally aired April 11th, 2010. Uh, I've got the old spinner here because somebody has to summarize this in 60 seconds without going over. Otherwise, they lose. If they go ridiculously under, then they're a trombone chump. So I'm going to spin it now. I hope it's Carol. I feel like she hasn't done it in forever. Yeah. But I hope it's not she, Carol because she Carol only didn't watched get to watch the whole minutes. Treme. What? Yes. That would be more funny, though, if you did, because then... <laughs> well, it's not Carol. It's Matt. Ugh. Which Matt? Not this Matt. <laughs> I did this on Calavici Fashion Cast two weeks ago, which is mm. a Quantum Leap podcast, and I barely remembered the plot of the episode, and I didn't look at the clock, and I stammered and stalled, and somehow ended up a minute on the dot, so... Wow! wow. That happened last time I did this. <laughs> Um. Anyways, my recording is just cu- currently borking. Borking. Mm. It's it's borking. I don't know if you want to wait till that starts Bork. again. Give yourself some time to collect your thoughts. Bork, bork, Come bork. on, 
Skype recorder not responding. Okay. All right, it's going again. Think back to uh, all the music, all the clatter, all the Steve Zahn ass that you saw. <laughs> the giant man, that, in the, the, or the man in the giant the chicken outfit, whatever that was. Uh, all the characters. Oh my god! So many characters. Just a big sprawling cast of characters. What do they all do? You tell us. Are you ready to go? Sure. Three, be- two, one, go. All right. Uh, it's I think it's three months. It said after the disaster in New Orleans. <laughs> um, Katrina, um, and uh, yeah, people are trying to pick up the pieces of their lives and uh, trying to get places rebuilt. Uh, we follow several different characters, more than several different characters. Um, I'll try to remember some. Uh, John Goodman uh, is a guy who's like very passionate, um, and he likes throwing things in water and swearing at people. And uh, his wife, I think, is like a investigator, maybe looking for missing people. From I won't go over Mel. Um, and uh, there's a guy who's like a big music nerd, and he's really annoying. And he's dating a lady who owns a diner. And there's a family that's coming back to their home. And the dad wants things to go back the way they were. So he wears a giant uh, jingly turkey suit and (laughs) walks down the street uh, like the Pied Piper or something. And uh, yeah, just people's lives. The end. (laughs) One minute, 26 seconds. <laughs> it's Mel's fault. No, it's not. I didn't take twenty seconds to tell you that. <laughs> yes, you did. No. <laughs> so many annoying characters. I wouldn't have been able to do that, even if I knew what I was talking about. You found them all annoying. I found the two. Well, I found the one that got the most to do in the pile, which is Steve Zahn, to be mm-hmm. one of the most annoying. Characters. Yeah. He has no redeeming the pleasure of coming across. Yes, he was the DJ. His name was yeah. Davis. He was also a he had no redeeming qualities. Oh, I forgot oh. to mention. I kept skipping out on cab fares. Oh, I, yeah, <laughs> I liked that. I liked. I, I liked. Uh, what's his name? Um, his name is John Baptiste. Wendell Pierce is the actor. He was on The Wire. That guy mm-hmm. has a lot of charisma. Like I, yeah, I was, like yeah. him a lot. Mm-hmm. And of yeah, course, he can I love, get away with a lot. I love Candy Alexander. Last seen on Hooplecast in the Corner, and I believe the act the actor who played the dad. What was his name? Albert. He was also on the Corner. Who was the woman that you just said a minute ago? Candy Alexander. What did she play in this? She was Baptiste's ex-wife. Bar, the bar. She was looking yeah. for her, uh, hoping to find that. Evidence that her brother was still alive after. Yeah, she's always good. She's awesome. I remember her from News Radio. Yeah, she's always good. And um, of course, I love Kim Dickens from Deadwood. But man, well, there's so much Steve Zahn. There's there's too much Steve. <laughs> oh, she was the restaurant person. Yeah, yeah, what did she have to do? There wasn't much for her to do in this episode, really. 
I knew I knew her, and then it's like, oh, of course, from Deadwood. Duh. Yeah, I mean, basically, I liked all the characters except that DJ guy. He was just so, so obnoxious. Everybody else seemed kind of interesting. I, I think he was just a little bit autistic about music. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, it was more than that. He's but you know what I mean, right? He's sure, got this right? obsession, and he's like an ultra music nerd, and that's like the only thing he pretty much cares about, it seems. Mm. You know? Yeah, but what was he doing with his neighbors? I mean, with the the whole thing of, you know, like putting this the stereo up as high as possible and putting yeah, uh-huh. speakers out the window. Just being an asshole. Yeah. But this what if he did it? What if he was autistic? He doesn't realize. I don't. Like, no, I don't. I didn't catch no. autism. Just sort of pretentiousness no. and yeah. being an, a rude asshole. I, the thing yeah. I, I can't stand, like one of the things like more than anything is making somebody else listen to your music or your yep. television. When yep. you create noise and you're forcing somebody else to listen to it, yep. I find that so rude. I hate yep. it. Mm-hmm. Me too. And that's why I have yeah, a Yeah, he lost pride. me on that too. There's so that there was that, but I mean, okay, like going down the street in the morning. It's like it was the morning; people were sleeping, and and, and they're making so much noise. It's like, oh, I great, you know, it's community and it's fun. But did everyone okay this approve this? Oh, wait a minute, are you talking about the parade? That too. I'm saying all of it. Well, the parade, I got the definite. I, they were talking about it being a tradition and so forth. Um, it's it's New Orleans. People though. were yeah, they're famous. People for- knew it was going to happen. They're famous because for partying. They, yeah. It's People not a place it was, for you, Matt. No, it's not a place for me. I've been there. It's fine. But uh, give me a give me a cabin by the lake that with no bears inside. <laughs> nice and quiet. Everything quiet. No bears. No bears playing trombones either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, people knew it was going to happen and everything. I mean, if that's one of those things that if... If you move into a place where that's the norm, then it's on you. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, that's fair. Was that the best opening sequence of a television show ever? Yeah. No. <laughs> it was okay. Who says? Uh, David, David in our Facebook group said that the pilot of Treme has the best opening sequence ever done for TV. And I was, said, that's a bold claim. It was, it was uh, neat. It's a very bold they, claim. It was neat that they used the destruction of of the like houses and stuff and like just like super close-ups of walls and moldy walls and shit to kind of like a happy song in behind oh do you think he's talking about the main titles or the the actual first couple minutes of the show i thought he meant the first couple minutes of the show oh i thought he meant the main titles me too oh interesting because i definitely don't agree with that because hello what was the wording What was the wording? Just the pilot for Treme has the best opening sequence ever done for TV. He says the oh, pilot. That so sh- no, that that should be you should. Be yeah, opening sequence. sequence yeah. Okay, yeah. No, I didn't actually yeah. care for that. There was too many uh, like macro shots of extreme close-ups of everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember too... the opening shot. There yeah. was it was just like really tight camera on a whole crap ton of stuff for too long. Hmm. Well. I appreciated the sentiment of the of the opening of getting these people together and they're all talking about music and then they're getting ready to go out and play and then they go down in the parade and the community kind of comes alive and like okay it's nice yeah but yeah. it didn't seem big or special or thrilling to me mm. it sort of set well, the stage for the episode but I mean it did make you know when they said three months after 
And they didn't say after what. Yeah. And then they, it became really obvious pretty quickly, oh, we're talking about after the hurricane in New Orleans. I mean, they did say New Orleans, but we're talking about after the hurricane. Um, and that, you know, the opening few minutes did set that up. But even when the musicians were talking, I was like, okay, I kept, I kept looking for some kind of context clue to tell me what they were actually saying because they were haggling over something. Mm-hmm. It's seven, they'll get you 10, but this should get you 12 and so forth and so on. I'm still not sure whether they were talking about players, money or miles. Seven what's get you 10 what's. 12 yeah. should give you six, whatever it was. I, I, I think they were haggling over money and how much they'd all get paid to do their music thing. How far? Yeah, I thought the somebody end, was hiring them. For, at the end, Baptiste gets 40 for like walking in the funeral procession. Yeah, it feels like if, like, were they haggling over getting paid to be in that? I the, think yeah. so. I think that there was That's um, what I a crew of, of musicians. And they got like 200 and then they got to split it amongst them or something. Hmm. See, I, I figured that they were haggling over money, but I just whether thought- it was a number of players, you know, like seven players or 12 players or 10 players getting what price. Then he said something about six miles. I'm how saying, far, well, wait a minute, there was a six or seven in there. So does it depend on how many miles they go? I don't know. I just figured, like, being in a parade to, like, boost the morale of New Orleans would be something you'd do for free. <laughs> but <laughs> No, they were definitely... Yeah, it's not like they have corporate sponsors, so I'm not sure why... Who's paying for what? Yeah. It's very... I thought odd. it was their their community, and they were trying to, you know, bring everyone oh, together. No. So I thought they were just having a fun party, and yeah. they just... They just do it. More likely, <laughs> you like, pay to play in the parade, and then the money goes toward a charitable cause, right? No. <laughs> no? That's not what you would do? I wouldn't think so. I mean, these guys are trying to make a living. Um, well, who's putting on this parade? It, but what might it might have been was when you said there's no corporate sponsors, they ended at a bar, and it might be a combination of a couple businesses where they get people to kind of go to the businesses. At first, I thought it was going to be a funeral, um, and that would be, of course, the person paying for the funeral. Mm-hmm. But And that's what happens at the end. They they do a funeral procession, which is a nice bookend to the episode because it's the inverse of this. But it's still kind of a party because they're celebrating, you know, the person. Because New Orleans. Yeah. I find New Orleans is almost like when you watch it, it's almost like a whole different it's so different culturally, you know? Right. It's so interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you can definitely watch it just for the cultural. Yeah. It's just like really... window. Really, it, I thought it was really fascinating. to Like, especially, like, the funeral. I was like, that's really cool. Like, just the way that they, they do their funerals. I was like, whoa. Like, that's intense. <laughs> also, that cemetery at the end. I did a mission in that cemetery in Red Dead Redemption 2. Nice. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Since uh, in that game, there is a facsimile of New Orleans called Saint-Denis. Mm. They were able to uh, bury somebody in the cemetery three months after the, the hurricane? I guess. Mm-hmm. Not, well, too, not, okay. not too they squishy. Do they bury or do or are the caskets like above ground? They should be above ground. I didn't see that part of the show. They should be above ground, I think. So this opening sequence, I'm, I'm watching it on YouTube now, and 
it, it's special in the sense that the it's a large ensemble of of characters and locals. I don't know if they filmed in New Orleans and used actual locals or or what. But yeah, there's a lot of people. It's 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 fun. Uh, These characters that are like doing the haggling or whatever, we never see them again, do we? I don't think so. I like the guy with the umbrella. There's a couple guys with umbrellas. I don't know if we see him again. There's so many people, I'm not quite sure who we're following some of the time. Yeah. So what did you think of the main titles? With the happy music and the photo- photographs and things? Uh, it was okay. Yeah. It was interesting. I don't. I'm- after seeing uh, the titles for Carnival and Deadwood and Rome and... I don't know, this one just seemed kind of lackluster. To- I like the titles for Boardwalk Empire better. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Yeah. Well, this felt a little cheap, these titles. Like, it took an afternoon to make. <laughs> well, they're just going for something. They're, you know, the destruction of the properties and stuff. Just the mold can kind of look, almost look like art if you really uh, frame it certain ways, I guess. But it's I just watched, not, it's not a big production like some of the others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched Boardwalk Empire first because I thought that was the order of it. Um, and it was, it was jarring to go to this one afterwards, I have to admit. In what way? Um, maybe it was just the time lapse to go, you know, to, um, and the, the noir kind of feel sometimes with, the, uh, you know, now and then, not, not through the whole thing, but I don't know, different pace, a different, very, um, combination of the time and the pace, I would say. Um, the music, the music that they used in it's Treme, right? This is Treme, yes. What is what does Treme mean? Anybody know? I did. What does that refer <laughs> no. to? It's, no, it seems like it was an a- area of New Orleans or like yeah. a district or something. That's what I thought. Is it a parish? Because they mentioned it at one point, but I thought it wasn't an area. It's a neighborhood. Okay. Yeah, but uh, I mean, the music had a different pace to it, and it was it was interesting because the the music has a different pace than the actual show did. The show was pretty slow, and the music wasn't. Mm. So there was a you feel like little bit sh- of a disconnect there. The show kind of came alive a little bit more when it had the music? I yes. Think, I think the show would have worked better if it was shorter. Well, yeah. If the pilot was 15 minutes long. shorter, I would have liked it a lot more. I think they should have cut it in half, because at the when they had that... Uh, they had the... Steve Zahn playing the song on the mm-hmm, video. Yep. I felt like that was the end of the episode, and I was like, oh, it's only halfway through, and I was like, that would have been the perfect spot to end the episode. I had the exact same thought. Yeah. I had the exact same thought. Yeah. I wondered whether that was supposed to be the original end of the episode, and then the next part was supposed to be a second episode. Yeah. Hmm. The neighborhood of Treme is known for its modern brass band tradition. Oh. There you go. Yeah. The fuck came out your home, man? Fuck you, man. Definitely a clam, I heard. Let's see here. I came up flat because y'all decided to end the damn parade at my ex-wife's joint. And I could only take so much shit and stride. You two a barrel? Long time ago. Man, how you let that slip away, man? Let me? Shit. I busted out of that situation. What went wrong? He wasn't treating you like I would be treating you? You want to know what went wrong? Yeah, tell it, darling. Tell it. I married a goddamn musician. Ain't no way to make that shit right. Ooh. Damn. I don't even know. Was everybody involved in either music or food? Well, 
Yes. No, uh, um, <laughs> John Goodman and Melissa Leo, as a couple, they were more like crusaders. They were not... They were like the only ones, though. Yeah. Oh, no, their daughter played piano. Ah! Oh. <laughs> what were their jobs, though? She's some sort of an attorney. Uh-huh. And apparently it's to the police department at some some point, um, which is why that one guy at the table was really rude to her. Uh, I don't know what his job is, except that he maybe he's like a city councilman or something, because he oh. was doing interviews with British television or something for some reason. And, yeah, uh, also and then NPR. NPR. I I found him annoying as well. <laughs> I hadn't I didn't I hadn't decided about him. Um, I mean he he wasn't being very productive, but. Uh, I think I like his wife better than him. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah, and the daughter's great. I like her a lot, too. I yeah, found her just... annoying. No, I didn't. <laughs> I like it. You're going to stroke out, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Kind of, I found her little comments kind of like, all right. Like, yeah. I liked his character. It was on the nose, I found. What did you I like about him? Uh, just how passionate he was. <laughs> I liked, uh... yeah. yeah. He only had like two scenes, didn't he? I like how he said with the Archbishop. He, he felt rude. Yeah, he, had a, he had more than that. I liked his Archbishop comment. I thought that was funny. The explosion people heard was actually an unsecured barge ramming into the canal wall, not dynamite. People think there was a conspiracy to breach the levees. To what end? Drown 80% of the city? And whose interest was that? Why displace so many working class folks, black and white? It, It makes no sense. Are you saying this was a natural disaster, pure and simple? A natural disaster. A hurricane is. What hit the Mississippi Gulf Coast was a natural disaster, a hurricane, pure and simple. The flooding of New Orleans was a man-made catastrophe, a federal fuck-up of epic proportions and decades in the making. Daddy. We can edit that out, no worries. The levees were not blown, not in 65 and not three months ago. The flood protection system built by the Army Corps of Engineers, a.k.a. the federal government, failed. And we've been saying for the last 40 years since Betsy that it was going to fail again unless something was done. And guess what? It was not. Seriously, Daddy, you're going to stroke out. No worries, sweetheart. Cools a cucumber up an archbishop's ass. The levees weren't blown. The floodgates failed. The canal walls failed. The pumps failed. All of which were supposedly built to withstand a much greater storm. Are you suggesting criminal liability? Absolutely. Find the responsible parties and put them on trial. Corps of Engineers, federal, state, local government, the contractors who use substandard materials, and the goddamn sleazebag politicians that they have in their pockets. Ah, so, given that it's all gone pear-shaped... Why should the American taxpayer foot the bill to fix New Orleans? It's going to cost billions. Well, since when don't nations rebuild their great cities? For the sake of argument, let's say New Orleans was once a great city. Are you saying New Orleans is not a great city? A city that lives in the imagination of the world? I suppose if you're a fan of the music, which has rather seen its day, let's be honest, or the food, a provincial cuisine which many would say is typically American, too fat, too rich, then yes, of course, New Orleans has its advocates. But what about the rest of the country? Hmm. Hmm. Provincial, passe... Hate the food, hate the music, hate the city. What the fuck are you doing down here? You fucking limey vulture motherfucker. Oh. <laughs> really, you can't going into. Come on, goddammit. You go, daddy. Into the river. I'm just going to take it for a little swim. Come on. I, I like the little 
pass at uh, NPR where he's saying, you know, we're dying down here. This ain't Lake Wobegon, goddammit. <laughs> you guys follow Prairie Home Companion at all? No. Not anymore. Oh. If I ever did. Lake, Wob- Lake Wobegon was... Um, Garrison Keillor, he's another Garrison uh, sex offender, isn't he? <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I've heard. There's, you know, some stuff about whether, you know, harassment, whether there's harassment on the thing. What did you guys think of uh, Elvis Costello? Did I see Elvis Costello? No, you didn't. Okay. You didn't get that far? He, I got the first 50 minutes, five zero minutes. He would have been at the end. Like, I, I recognize the name, and I... But I'm not sure I've ever heard any music by him. Oh. So. I just thought it was, like, that was when he was the most, like, it's like, that's why I said he's autistic. It seems, just seems like he really doesn't get social cues from anybody. Yeah. He just does his own thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, Steve Zahn's character? Oh. Yeah. Like, he's just I really, he's, like, he's just doesn't, you know, doesn't see that stuff. He, all he sees is, like, his music and what he likes and doesn't, um, doesn't seem to care, you know, about I don't know. It just doesn't seem to register with him at all. That that was he just, just he could just be a narcissist. But yes, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to be like offensive by saying autistic or anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Too late. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. Oh, what... at the end, he goes into her, her restaurant and opens a three hundred and fifty dollar bottle of wine. What? That's... Yeah. But like, he, like again, it didn't seem to register with him. What, what he had done? Like he was just like, uh, she's, I don't know. She's like, oh my god, you opened a three hundred fifty dollars bottle of my wine, and he's like, oh yeah, it's good. It's like <laughs> oh, that's geez. that's theft. Like that's insane. Oh yeah, yeah. That could yeah, that's like horrible. if she's trying to run a small business in the aftermath of a tragedy, and he opens a three hundred fifty dollars bottle of wine. That's crazy. It, 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 I like her character less because she shows obviously no good judgment being with him. <laughs> well, what was her reaction? Did she throw him out on his butt? She was mortified that he opened the wine, but then kind of seemed to let it slide. Oh, they threw him out. She threw him out. She, oh, that's right. She, no, she did ask the guy to throw him out. And then she oh, was, good. she was, uh, she started drinking the wine. <laughs> well, that's when it's open. It's oh, well, good for her. I know. No, I, I, I respect her character for that. <laughs> I don't know if she's just with him because she, she kept saying, don't ask me about the house. Like, she's got nowhere to be to go right now. You know oh, I mean? that could be part of it. Maybe she's like, oh, like, I think this guy will take me. Like, you know, I might as well. I don't know. It's kind of a sucky situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doesn't look like there's, she's got a lot of choices there either. Yeah. That's a fair point. Maybe she just doesn't have any other housing options. <laughs> or other options. This is the show that made Will hate Steve Zahn. Yeah. It's like, I get it now. I get it. <laughs> yeah. What else has he been in? I, I can't remember. I know the name, but I didn't recognize him he or was anything. In, he was in A Perfect Getaway. You can listen to the commentary for that on Hooplecast. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. A Perfect Getaway? <laughs> Perfect Getaway. Was was that a series? No, that it, was we a, watched? it was a it was a movie with Timothy Oliphant that Claire and I did a commentary for. Oh, oh, okay, never mind. He's been in a lot of movies, a lot of things. I recognize his name. Previously on Hooplecast, when we covered From the Earth to the Moon. Oh yeah, what did he do in that? I played an astronaut, I think. Yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah, he's kind of like one of these nondescript white guys that is kind of forgettable. Yeah. He goes to that Tower Records that's going out of business and demands his CDs back. Well, that I that I did not just give him the know. CDs. Yeah, why not give him his CDs? I mean, they kept saying we're going out of business. We're out of business. Yeah, so you give back the stuff that belongs to other people. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fine. He was that- they were holding holding them for consignment. Um, if that in- indeed is a thing that that chain did at that time, or maybe the manager just took it upon himself to do, or herself took it upon herself to do that, um, may not have been company policy, but any case, okay, you have documentation to show that it's your property. Oh, you don't? Well, then what can we do for you? Then how can we Right, but, you? but they didn't bother to ask no, him that or anything else. It was just like, nope, you're out of luck. We're out of business. Therefore, everything that, you know, is, is forfeit to us. Which yeah. was, you know, that that didn't seem right at all. Mm. That's the one thing about him that, you know. Yeah, that is the one thing where, where he was right. Yeah, everything else, he was horrible. Dude, the mafia is way better equipped to run New Orleans than the United States government, the state of Louisiana. Yeah, they used to run it. The Marcellus used to run it all. Yeah, and fuck if it isn't time to bring them back. I mean, hey. Do you think the mob would have dragged ass the way FEMA did, left little old ladies to rotten rooftops? I mean, look how good Carlos ran things when the mayor, the governor, and everybody else was in his pockets. Look at the Lafitte. Beautiful Sicilian roof slate. Did they fall over? Did they flood? But music. Louis Armstrong, managed by Joe Glazer, who had to pair up with the mob. Feel me? The mayor segue into Louis Prima, who is managed by the Segredo family, after which I'm close enough to some old-school R&B, get up in the Cosimo shop, start spending some Ray Charles, some Spiders, Lee Allen, May... Oh, you have got to be fucking kidding me! One in every three songs from a Pledge Drive compilation? It's that time of year, bro. Here we are! Supposedly the greatest alternative radio station in the greatest musical city in this sad, failed history of the planet. We're playing the same, admittedly, great 20 tunes that everyone hears on every fucking Big Easy, Crescent City, Care For God compilation ever released. The fucking New Orleans fucking canon. Fuck me! Yeah, and you gotta plug the CD at every break. Darnell said so. Ico, Tipitina, they are as for you, yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. Fuck! Darnell Nichols and his fucking pledge drive. I liked the dad, Albert. I felt really bad for him. Which his, dad? Oh, uh, the, the, the dad that wanted, it was insisting to live inside his moldy and he house. Dressed up as a giant turkey, uh, turkey chicken, jingly turkey. <laughs> Whatever that was. It. How many big birds did they skin to make that costume? <laughs> I thought he looked like the uh, a Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> I have a an article here that's sort of like a compilation of critic critic impressions of the premiere and this one person says so her name is susan young she says i thought it was going to be a little darker than what it was i didn't expect the humor i didn't expect the kind of lightness about it i'm not saying it's a particularly light drama just that it had more of that than i expected i liked it i love candy alexander so i'm really anxious to see what they're doing with her something like this seems like a male-oriented show and i wonder what the female characters are going to do i really liked her character young admits she knows very little about the world that treme is 
the little about the world Tremea set in said the episode she saw sparked her interest in further exploration, especially in Mardi Gras Indians. I thought, I need to look this up. I need to know more about this. And I don't think that's a particularly bad thing for a viewer. When I saw the Mardi Gras Indian, I thought, what is this? He's a chief? It totally baffled me. Mm. When I saw him, I thought, I don't know what this is about, but it made me want to go and find out. Mm. I think what they've done with the music, that's what helps it along. I thought it felt just right. I don't know anything about New Orleans. I've been there once in my life. I can't say what the city is like. For me, someone from the outside, I thought, this is the city, this is the flavor. You think I don't deal with that kind of thing every day? No doubt. A little more anger might be good for you, too. Yeah, but is it going to do your argument any good? That's what I'm asking. Vinegar, no flies. Honey gets the job done. A big-ass fly slaughter, that's what... Fox up the flies, bro. Isn't all this about flies? Not in my place, I hope. Oh, of course not. Our dinner was flawless. Flawless as well. Thanks. You're busy tonight. Oh, every night. I could stay up no midnight every night if I had the staff. What do people in this town crave now? Good food, companionship, community. Mm, I crave dessert myself. I'm out of everything but lemon ice. Sold. Can't eat lemon ice. What? It's homemade. It would be disloyal. He's waiting for Procados to reopen. Oh, I understand that. How about uh, Hubix? Hubix, what flavor? Uh, apple for sure, maybe sweet potato. Ooh, sweet potato if you got an apple if you eat. <laughs> okay. Hey, how's your house? Oh, don't ask me about my fucking house. So, like, going forward, uh, was there actually going to be a story? Like, there wasn't, there didn't seem to be too much plot going on like how much ahead of the hurricane were they like when they made the show well it's a different question but they, I know. you mean how how long after the hurricane yeah, yeah. three months after i mean no, how long did they actually the make show. the show yeah okay so the show aired in april 2010 hurricane was what in 2006 or something well four 2005 five okay summer of <laughs> both sides of it okay so it's five years later they made the show okay yeah, I mean, it Sorry, definitely yeah, seemed I, like a slice of life type show, and I I was wondering if it was going to get into any kind of plot or whether it was just going to continue to be, you know, following people's lives and just kind of, you know, their trials and tribulations and trying to get over the hurricane. What was my question again? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Was there plot? In the oh, yeah. Going forward, was there going to be plot? I have no idea. Oh, you didn't watch the second episode? Yeah, I did not. <laughs> the first one felt long enough. I didn't need to watch another one. Yeah. It f- I'm going to I'm going to imagine that some of it is about locating that lost brother. Mhm. Yeah. It makes and sense. And it's going to be about Albert kind of reassembling his life and his business and getting people to um get prepped for the Mardi Gras, the carnival. Because at the end they talk about the carnival may not happen, but he's all dressed in that turkey outfit, whatever that is. All the all the feathers. He's got all the feathers. So clearly he he's trying to uh, boost morale to get the city back where it needs to be. Yeah. So I don't know what what other plots there might be. I needed a plot. I needed a real through line for this, and I didn't get one. So I had a harder time with watching it. Yeah, I I think it would have been better if there had been some kind of um, some kind of original plot. I mean, some kind of initial plot is the word I was looking for. Um, even if they branched off to people's lives a little bit more, um, 
Anyone looking for a brother? You're kind of disappearing again, Carol. Oh, sorry. Yeah, is this better? Yes. Okay. Um, the woman looking for a brother seemed like uh, probably the best possibility for, you know, the main plot of the episode and introducing everybody else, you know, or something. I don't know. I, I kind of agree with you. It needed It needed more of a plot. Okay, I'll read the description of the next episode. Davis McLary is fired from his DJ job. Instead of a loan, his father gets him a new position at a local hotel. When he directs three young tourists to a bar in the 7th Ward and they don't return, Davis is quickly fired. However, he runs into the kids two days later and they thank him for pointing them to the real New Orleans. Albert tracks down a young man named Skinny who stole Albert's tools and beats Skinny senseless. Oh, I don't sound like I don't like Albert as much. Meanwhile, <laughs> Albert struggles to reassemble his tribe, but only one member is able to show up for practice. Jeanette Desatel requests a $25,000 loan from her visiting parents to keep her restaurant afloat. Her father tells her he can only give her 6000 Tony believes that she has located Damo in a Louisiana prison, but when she and LaDonna go to see him, the prisoner brought out to meet them is a stranger. Hmm. Okay. okay. So, basically, it's everybody's... Little personal story. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I didn't think really any of these stories grabbed me. What about you guys? Yeah. Uh... Yes, no? (laughs) No. There there wasn't enough there. There wasn't enough plot to to feel really invested. Yeah. 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 I think that's all we have to say about this one. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, when it comes right down to it, yeah. Yeah. Let's um, read what Harold thought. Do you think he liked it or didn't like it? Uh, didn't like it. We'll have you read Harold's feedback. Read the feedback, please. I think that this was one of the most accomplished pilots that we've seen yet. <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> I knew the answer to the question before I asked. <laughs> I give a lot of credit to David Simon and HBO to take a risk filming a show in New Orleans in the wake of Katrina under what must have been difficult conditions. It definitely paid off in the documentary aspect of it. I've seen a lot of shows set in post-apocalyptic environments, but they don't hold a candle to Treme and its devastated neighborhoods with destroyed homes and overturned trucks on sidewalks. <clears throat> and of course, the angriest people were the well-off NPR-loving white family whose life seems unaffected except for limited choice of desserts at a high-end restaurant because it's David Simon. Having said that, it was kind of a strange pilot. It had great acting, great music, a great director, Ag- Agnieszka Holland one of my favorite directors of the 1990s who I guess can only get TV jobs these days. But it didn't have much of a plot. At it, Yeah, that's why I didn't like it. Uh, at its best, it felt like an introduction, but it was hard to see how this could sustain itself as a series just based on this plot. It feels like the first part of a short miniseries or the first half of an unmade Robert Altman film. What were the plot lines? There was one small story about a missing prisoner that would qualify as storyline, but not much else. Compare this to the plot of The Wire, which is not, in my opinion, an all-time great pilot, but it not only introduced us to a lot of characters, but it had a traditional pilot storyline, 
the for uh, the formation of a special criminal unit to look into the Barksdale gang. So you know that the next episode would be about the getting the team together and gather, gathering some evidence. Here all uh, here all I would expect would be more cleaning up plus assholes being assholes. Would I watch more? Yeah, but I'd be more enthusiastic if I knew it if I knew it if I knew that there would be some better plot lines. Yeah. Okay, so he he liked it a lot despite despite the what we're finding as problems, he's he's not he likes it despite of that. He seems to mm. like Yeah. Well, he's liking the part of that I'm uh, that I do appreciate about the show, which is that it feels like a very lived-in show, like it feels of the place. Yeah. John Goodman's character talks about New Orleans like existing in the imaginations of the world, and I'm getting a sense that this place is like no other place, and that this this community is strong because of of its people and its music and its culture and its food and whatnot. And uh, but I I just want to I want more as a television show than for it to feel like a documentary. I wanted like more of like an actual show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can definitely. Yeah, I I mean I get. Uh, I I like when shows try and be ambitious, and I like when they try and start you know do something that's different. But uh, it, it, they've got to have more to it than just. Okay, we want to try and be ambitious. How are you going to be ambitious? What are you going to do? Well, we're going to film in New Orleans. Okay, and then what? I don't get there was a feeling like there was a lot after that. I'm going to guess that the writers sketched out a story arc for each character of where mm-hmm. they wanted to go at the beginning, then like you know where they started, yeah. or where they would go toward the end of the season. That each character yeah. would have some sort of arc. But um, I couldn't tell you what the arcs would be watching this. Didn't leave me in suspense. Yeah. Like, is her restaurant going to be successful? Like, is that, was that, I don't know, a storyline? I don't know, hard to tell. She said she's got people in there all the time. If she could get, you know, she could be open 24 hours if she had help. Or, yeah, help. Her deadbeat boyfriend is drinking her wine, her $350 wine. So... I don't understand, honestly, I don't understand what, how she's failing unless there's something else involved with the failure. Um, I mean, she's having trouble getting product. Okay, that makes sense. $25,000 from her parents isn't going to help get her product unless it's just that she has to import it from way far away and that's, and it's going to make it more expensive or something. But, uh, I don't know. It that didn't make much sense to me just now. I want to like it. <laughs> I know. I do too. You know. I want to like it, but I'm just I'm not finding really a way to, you know. I'm having a really hard time finding finding a hook. Yeah. Can I get to make a counterfeit? Oh! Had a big teeth. Guardians of the flame, Mardi Gras day, I shoot the fire in the name. I make Lulu do it, do it, but keep them down. I make them jump over St. Louis Cemetery, roll that lightning, kick down the tombstones, wake up the dead and make a hum bow. I'm looking for a trail teeth. Got five can't put it out. Oh, jeez. That's pretty. That's real pretty. 
Wondering if I was ever gonna see something like that again. I'm looking for the trail, Chief. Got a heart of steel. A bear. You gonna clean out that bar for practice? And now one of your people can even make it back? It might not even be no carnival this year. No St. Joseph neither. Kuchima! Humba! Go no how! Yeah. Ain't nobody home. Ain't nobody even thinking about no kneeling tread. Some of them houses still got bodies up in there. Humba! Go no how! All right? Put your suit away, Chief. I'll be around by the bar tomorrow afternoon. We can move on when we want to rate it. Mm, I guess. <laughs> don't feel like it. I'll give it six out of ten cucumbers. Where? Where are the cucumbers? They are up the archbishop's ass. <laughs> but they're cool cucumbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish it was 15 minutes shorter. I could have done without Steve Zahn being an asshole. I get that he's a music snob, but he's so rude to so many people. I really disliked him. Mm-hmm. I didn't like John Goodman's character being rude as well. Yeah, his the reporters were rude, but he if he's the face of the city, he's not a... They're not putting their best foot forward, having him as their spokesperson. No. Uh, I do like Wendell Pierce a lot uh, as that uh, trombone player who somehow talks his way out of the cab fares. He just mm-hmm. seems like a really nice, regular dude. And I liked mm-hmm. Albert. Uh, I don't like the idea of him beating up poor Skinny, uh, even though Skinny is a criminal. Um, but these these guys seem like of the community and they they seem like they're just regular Joes and they're trying to rebuild their lives and uh-huh. I like that and I like Kim Dickens uh, restaurant stuff. Yeah. So it's not like I didn't like parts of it. I just wish lose Steve's on, lose 15 minutes, a little bit more plot. I think this would have been way better. So 6 out of 10 cool cucumbers up an archbishop's ass. <laughs> yep. I will also give it 6 out of 10. For all the reasons you said, um, there's nothing to get hooked on, hooked into. Um, uh, the characters weren't lovable, really. Uh, uh, I don't know. I just, yeah, I just feel very blah toward the whole thing. Such a cool, like it could have been so cool. Mm. Yeah. Cool topic. And there was good, good spots in it, but. And these are kind of your people, aren't they, Mel? Didn't we talk about this before? Uh, <laughs> well, the... the Cajuns are, but yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know if we saw any Cajuns in there. Maybe, maybe there... one in the in the parade. There were a couple guys dressed in couple, green suits. And of, we were, we were actually commenting. We were like, "Geez, there's like just like the one random white dude just like During like wandering scene? in the parade." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we thought that was the most hilarious thing. <laughs> Uh, the the kid in the restaurant, the uh, the cook in the restaurant, um, had an accent, but I'm not sure from where. Hmm. So yeah, six out of ten uh, wine for CDs barter trades, barter deals out of print CDs. <laughs> yeah, you got cat hair all over you. I do. Yeah, same for me, I guess. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's just, it's just feels like a, feels like a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll go along with the group. I mean, it's... Um, I, I'd i love to know more about the culture. Mm. But this didn't seem like necessarily the way to to that end, you know? The culture was the most interesting thing about the whole show, I thought. Yeah, it was. I absolutely agree. Mm. But at the same time, I I didn't really... So much of what was going on was kind of so random that it, you know, like kind of trying to pull the culture out of what we were seeing was was difficult. Um, it's almost like that wasn't what they wanted to do. I'm not quite sure what they wanted to do. Um, but so I'll go again. I'll go with you on six out of ten. Um, obsessive musicians. <laughs> not obsessive DJs. Obsessive musicians. And Mel, what was your rating? Oh, a six out of ten. Uh, uh, trying to stand way too close to Elvis Costello. Six is across the board. Yeah, it's just easy. It's just easy, Matt. It's big <laughs> yeah, easy. I, I it's mean, an easy rating. It's a passing grade. It's a but passing grade. Nothing yeah. spectacular. Yeah, yeah. It's it's easy for the big easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, moving on. Boardwalk Empire premiered September 19th, 2010. It lasted five seasons, 56 episodes in total. And the pilot was written by Terrence Winter, Winter and directed by Martin Scorsese. And someone's going to summarize this pilot in 60 seconds. Oh, finally. <laughs> it's finally me, huh? It's finally you. All right. I had a feeling that was going to happen. All right, let me get my notes here. Hmm. Can't use notes. Why not? <laughs> you can do do whatever you need to, but you've got 60 seconds to summarize the pilot of Boardwalk Empire without going over or ridiculously under. Okay, well, let's see how I do. All right, you're right. going in three, two, one, go. 
Boardwalk Empire starts with uh, credits that indicate that this is about um, somebody back in maybe the 40s. It turns out to be the 20s. They involve with whiskey and prohibition and the Atlantic City Boardwalk. Sure enough, um, it's prohibition is just coming in. Um, They get all the gangsters to... Atlantic City, you find out that all the politicians, the police, everybody are all in on the take, and it's uh, they're using Atlantic City to smuggle in booze, but things start going south when, uh, or sideways, however you want to put it. Pear-shaped. When, huh, pear-shaped, right. When um, one of the up-and-comers who's been to the war, World War One. Uh, uh, double crosses um, one of the buyers from out of town who's a very powerful guy and makes the mistake of getting involved with Al Capone as a young man who proceeds to shoot everybody. And so uh, they, um, they uh, uh, what do you call it, they scapegoat a couple guys, hand them over to... Um, the guys from out of town as uh, sacrifices. They kill them and dump them off the in the water. The end. <laughs> <laughs> One minute, 38 seconds. Yeah, I knew it was going to be too long. <laughs> um, <laughs> we start going into real in-depth about the title sequence. I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Love those titles, though. I like the titles. I, I did because I thought it really set up the um I thought it really set it up as far as um the whiskey and the way you know the way the water didn't even get on his shoe like his shoes were pristine after the water goes away it's like nothing is touching this guy. Mm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I love the shot of all the bottles floating in the water. Yeah. Yes, that was really cool. It's like yeah. this is Liquor is has saturated this town. This this mm-hmm. the Volstead Act prohibition. It it has done the opposite of what it intended to do. It has made this place a haven, a mecca for this kind of stuff. Yeah, for crime. Yeah, and violence. And they're really looking forward to it. Oh man, yeah, that was that was great when they celebrated the start of the thing that you would expect people to uh, be lamenting, but to them, it's a party. It's, it's now it's a, a secret cool thing. Yeah. Now it's, now it's a real moneymaker. Um, yeah, that, uh, that was interesting. And, and all the, um, the gangsters showing up and uh, to, to Atlantic city, that was, I mean, I don't know if that really happened or not, but, um, I had certainly never heard of it, but uh, it makes perfect sense that Atlantic City would be in a per- perfect position to be able to uh, smuggle in booze. Mr. Mayor, <clears throat> friends, fellow members of the city council, as you know, in less than two hours, liquor will be declared illegal by decree of the distinguished gentlemen of our nation's Congress. <laughs> To those beautiful, ignorant bastards. Rest assured that dry though the country may be, 
I am in the midst of concluding arrangements that will keep Atlantic City wet as a mermaid's twat. Jeez, Nugget, you're fucking mermaids now? Every vote counts, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> a Republican through and through. The opportunity that is the Volstead Act has not merely knocked my friends, it has kicked our fucking doors in. Yeah. I believe it when I see it. Come on, George, it'll be like prohibition never happened. But for one thing, prices will increase 20-fold. What kind of sucker will pay three clams for a drink worth 15 cents? You. You been to Margie? You'll pay 12 clams for a piece of cooze ain't worth nothing. <laughs> yeah, you pay. You pay. I know. Pay. Now he's, he's on the trolley. Number one, we got a product the fellas gotta have. Even better is that we got a product he ain't allowed to have. Yeah, they might as well outlaw smoking. The man's on holiday, believe me. He wants a drink, he'll pay the price for it. That's right. How about the law? The law? I am the law, Georgie boy. Are you so fucking south? You thought I'm Lillian Gish, huh? Are you saying a flower? It's not a flower. I'm gonna take him out of here right now. You're out of here. The feds! You're under arrest. The feds, the fucking pro The feds, the fucking pro Dog catchers with badges. With all due deference to dog catchers. Sorry, I had to. I had to go for a sec. You guys mentioned whiskey, and then every time that happens, I'm like, I need a drink. So I got some some eggnog with rum in it. Ooh. You don't have actual whiskey? (laughs) Uh, I think I do, but I wanted eggnog with rum. Okay, well, that makes one of us. (laughs) Eggnog with bourbon in it tastes pretty good, too. It's dark rum. (laughs) (laughs) Well, rum rum and eggnog is good. So, yeah, why did Prohibition happen? (laughs) Was it concerned mothers? Won't someone please think of the children? (laughs) Um, it it was actually concerned wives more than anything. Uh, you know how the, do you blame um, them? What? Look at how they were. Do you blame them? Look at how they were treated when the guys were drinking. Mm. Exactly. That's exactly what what it was about. Yeah. It was um, spousal abuse was was really horrendous, and it was uh, as it still is. But at the time, it was even worse. And because uh, there so was so much influence that they that they made this happen when they couldn't even vote. Yeah, it it's uh it's amazing they were able to do that. But they did. And I haven't studied the whole thing and there may have been there may have been people who were going for it for other reasons. I know that uh the a lot of the activists involved though were were doing it specifically um because of the effect that it was having on on women in domestic situations, but because uh, drinking was just it was a whole lot more than it is now. It was there was nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was, uh, and there was no like Alcoholics Anonymous and all of that stuff that came later. Call the the spousal support hotline. Yeah. There really no, wasn't anything. Women's shelters. You know, they didn't have I their mean, own income, right? There's no bank account if you're a woman to get away from an abuser. A lot of that stuff didn't even happen until the 1970s. Honestly. I mean, yeah. there were... Um, I know one woman who started the first women's shelter in North America, and that, I believe, only happened in the early 70s. Um, I was talking to a woman the other day who was saying that she didn't even have her own credit card or wasn't oh, allowed no. her own credit card until she, uh. until like 
I don't know, late 80s or something? <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. a lot of, there was something going around on Facebook, I'll see if I can find it, that uh, had, you know, when a lot of these laws were changed. Mm. But, um, yeah, women were not allowed to have their own uh, credit cards, they weren't allowed to have their own bank accounts, there, there was a lot of stuff like that. Um, one friend of mine who, <laughs> oddly enough, when she died a couple of years ago, one of the things she had asked for was a New Orleans jazz band for her <laughs> funeral, uh, just coincidentally, in Key West. But um, she uh, she had been telling me that when she was teaching at a college, back when she had her kids, and let's see, she died when she was in her early 70s, and this was like two years ago she died. So she was in her early 70s. So when she was having her kids in her 20s, and she was teaching in at a college, she had no health insurance because she, as a woman, could not be head of the household. And they only insured heads of the household. Right. Her husband did not work for someplace that had health insurance. Therefore, she was not eligible to get health insurance through her job. She would have been if she was single, but because she was married, she was not eligible. Crazy. Because that was her husband's job was to have the health insurance. <laughs> and of course there was no maternity leave. There was no usually a woman would lose her job. So and there was certainly the whole domestic abuse stuff, they just ignored it entirely. Um sometimes there was like neighborhood stuff, you know, if there was if there was like a neighborhood group that would, you know, usually an, um, an Italian neighborhood or something like that where the guys would get together and decide that somebody was out of line, they might do something. But the police would never do anything. It was considered an internal matter. Same thing with abusing kids. So that's that was a lot of what led to prohibition. That's my understanding anyway found a, an article from The Guardian about Prohibition. I guess I could read part of it. <laughs> I guess you could. Let me see here. Where's a good place to start? In an age when individual freedom is all, it comes as something of a shock to reflect that in the world's most prosperous and dynamic country, the prohibition of alcohol lasted for almost 14 years. Today, we often think of prohibition as a diluted experiment, instinctively associating it with images of Al Capone, the Mafia, and the Valentine's Day Massacre. In fact, the campaign to prohibit alcohol had been deeply rooted in Anglo-American society for some two centuries. The American Society for the Promotion of Temperance, for example, was founded in 1826, and by the following decade, as many as a million Americans belonged to an anti-alcohol group of some kind. Far from being repressed authoritarians, Prohibition's largely Protestant champions, a large proportion of whom were high-minded, middle-class women, were the do-gooders of the day. Often deeply religious, they saw Prohibition as a kind of social reform, a crusade to clean up the American city, and restore the founding virtues of the godly republic. 
Many were involved in other progressive campaigns, too, notably the anti-slavery movement of the 1850s. And as American cities boomed after the Civil War, swollen with immigrants from Southern and Eastern Europe, the campaigners' hatred of alcohol became steadily more ferocious. They looked in horror on the new saloons of the expanding cities with their card games and fistfights, their bad boys and good-time girls. In particular, they became convinced that alcohol was a deadly threat to the health and virtue of American womanhood, not perhaps entirely erroneously, since papers of the time were full of stories of battered wives and broken marriages. So, I won't go on, but I can quote the poem at the beginning of this episode. (laughs) Coward, monster, vicious brute, friend to thief and prostitute, heartless, godless, hell's delight, crude by day and lewd by night, conscience Conscience dulled by demon rum, rum, liquor, thy name's delirium. Mm, I want I want Emily to make a um a quick a cross stitch of that just like Nucky Thompson was given. I want her to do a little <laughs> little cross stitch for that would me. That'd be amazing. With that poem on it. I'm surprised that the politician in him, when he got a copy of that framed and so forth, didn't put it up prominently in his lobby of his uh office. Not where he would have to look at it, but where <laughs> Yeah, he should have kept it at least ironically as a yeah. as a as a goof or something. Look at look at what this ditz gave me. <laughs> well, as as a a uh, as something to look good to the the poor schmoes that actually were believing that he you know was on their side. And then I found this timeline. It's called the Drunkard's Progress from the first class to the grave. Step one: a glass with a friend. Step two. A glass to keep the cold out. Step three, a glass too much. Step four, (laughs) drunk and riotous. Step five, the summit attained. Jolly companions, a a confirmed drunkard. That's when you get to step five. Step six, poverty and disease. Oh, we went went pretty far from steps five to six. (laughs) Step seven, forsaken by friends. Step eight, desperation and crime. Step nine, death by suicide. <laughs> Death by suicide. Death by huh. suicide. What step are you at, Matt? Are you step two? A glass to keep the cold one out? <laughs> uh, I'm at step enjoying my eggnog. <laughs> it sounds like you're between steps one and two. Don't just don't get to step five. Okay. A confirmed drunkard. I'm gonna watch him. I'll keep, I'm keeping my. Ow! Ow! <laughs> my baby. Oh, I shouldn't joke about that. <laughs> Oh. Always going too far, Mel. Always going too far. <laughs> Tell me how I can help you. First of all, sir, I would never. But when I heard you speak, I. There, there now. My apologies. My husband, he's a weakness for the dice games. He's a drinker as well on occasion uh, is this your first child our third we have a boy and a girl do you have children of your own Mr. Thompson I'm sorry that is quite forward not at all I do not I lost my wife 
to consumption. Oh, I'm sorry. She was very pretty. She was. Does your husband work? He's a baker's helper. But till tourist season, and with winter, and the children without boots, I... Your story moved me so. If you could see your way to give him a job, sir. As you say, until tourist season. However, this should see you through winter. I'm not here looking for charity. I insist. I don't know what to say. How to thank you. I'd be honored to name my child after you. Enoch, you couldn't possibly be so cruel. I think I, I mentioned before on this podcast that my great-grandfather was a bootlegger of sorts. Hey, my great-great-grandfather was uh, a moonshiner. Nice. He, uh, he brought whiskey over from Canada, across whiskey. Lake Erie. Canadian club? Probably. <laughs> whiskey. There you go. So, doing the Lord's work, I call it. See, my grandfather just made beer in his basement. So did pretty much everybody drink during Prohibition? <laughs> I get the feeling pretty much everybody did. Of course, you know, my grandfather ha- did have an alcohol problem. But, um... Huh? <laughs> of course. Yeah. But my from what my dad said, my dad was born in 1918, so... This was would have been during Prohibition. He said that um, his dad would brew beer in his basement, and then uh, he had all the bigwigs from the city. He was St. Louis. Um, bigwigs from the city would be playing pinochle um, in their house, drinking drinking his dad's beer and and so forth. He'd have the mayor there and the police, you know, police chief and. All kinds of people would come in to play cards and drink beer. Hmm. Did he make big buck? I don't know that he made much money at all. I know my dad said that uh, they used to give him a nickel to be able to rub my dad's head because my dad was a redhead. That was considered good luck. <laughs> That's funny. I always said, but but they were playing against a redhead because my grandfather was redhead. The, uh, what sense does any of that make? <laughs> None at all. <laughs> But it was a reason to give a kid a nickel. Right. Yeah. Oklahoma is finally raising its ABV, alcohol by volume, from some ridiculously low number to something more reasonable. That means. That's where the other half of the family's from. <laughs> ha! <laughs> so liquory. <laughs> They're now allowed to sell beer up to 8.99%, Ooh. which is still. On the low side, actually, because there are some IPAs that are, and stouts, barrel-aged stouts that are pretty potent. Yeah, I remember. I remember hearing about there used to be laws where, up to a certain age, you could drink like near beer and stuff, like really low alcohol beer and things. I don't know. There were all these weird state laws. Probably still are. I mean. It's a patchwork all over the country. Yeah. As uh, one of the fallouts from Prohibition um, are these 
obscure and difficult laws about what you can sell where and where you can import what mm-hmm. and, and all that. It was 3.2% in Oklahoma, and that's gone up to 88 Oh, yeah, 32 I remember that number. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hearing about it, not not dealing with it. Utah recently it. got rid of its um, – There in bars, they used to have to erect these – Shields to prevent p- customers from seeing how drinks were mixed. Oh yeah. Bar. Oh right. Where the drinks had to be mixed, like in a room behind the bar, so that you couldn't see. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. Now, let me see what what that was actually called. Did we talk about that once before on this podcast? We may have. And I thought it. I thought those walls that were put up had a had a name of some sort. Yeah, I don't remember whether I. I saw a thing on TV about it, or oh, they were called Zion curtains. Oh yeah, I think we talked about this. I think you were you informed us about this once before. Yeah, so that's gone away. Um, Anyway, back to the uh, the episode. I have to say, initially, when Boardwalk Empire premiered, I was soured by recent cancellations of Carnival and Deadwood, and then seeing. Old-timey cars and old-timey costumes and music. It's just like, oh, this reminds me of the show that I like that you canceled and said yeah. that you didn't have money to make and you were no longer making period dramas. What is this thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was very angry and bitter. <laughs> I do like the costumes and stuff on this. Yes. They're fun. But then I went back and I watched the pilot much later and watched the first couple seasons. And then my father started watching it with me and... We watched all of it, and uh, nice. I, I, I like that this world gets bigger, that there are some time jumps, some characters fall by the wayside, they introduce new characters. They're like big shifts to the storyline and, and universe, which I enjoyed. So you've Even seen in the thing? pilot, huh? So you've seen the whole thing? Yes. Even in the pilot, okay. they started expanding things when they went to Chicago. Um, I... I thought that Al Capone was just going to be like it was just going to be a a throwaway at first, like where oh you know I'm Al Capone and he goes away and you never see him again. Right. But um, let me ask you this: Do is he uh, brought back to be part of this? Oh, yeah. And yeah, I got that feeling yeah. like that we were going to be following him to some degree in Chicago. How historical is it? <laughs> I don't think it's very, I mean, starting with Nucky Thompson not being a real person, which is kind of disappointing to hear that your main character in this period drama is not real. That he's a composite of d- different gangsters, but he's kind of closely based on somebody named Nucky Johnson. <laughs> okay. What a name. So his name is Enoch? Enoch is his real name. Mm-hmm. And his brother is Eli. And they call him Lolly. Very, very biblical sounding. Their parents love the Bible, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe the kids not so much. It was, you know, the one of the first things that struck me was having been to Atlantic City many times over the years, um, and it's only a few hour drive for me. Um, but we don't go down there that often. But uh, when they had the night scene and they were coming down the boardwalk and they were like. Uh, clothing stores and and it basically just looked like a city street it was like so weird to see it that way uh but then when when daytime came and you had all the saltwater taffy places and the 
and, you know, the incubators and the, you know, and everything like that. Then it was like, oh, okay, now we're back to, you know, what I would expect the boardwalk to look like a hundred years ago. But, that was um, weird, right? The babies in the window? Yeah. That that was they... something... I feel like I... that is such a product of its time. Like, people were so into, like, freak shows and stuff. Like, the like the the short people wrestling and stuff. Yeah. That was a little weird, right? Like, mm-hmm. come on. <laughs> like, it's just everything was on display for people to see. Yeah, yeah. Strange, Every, right? Everything was made into an... Um, an attraction. Yeah. The babies, the babies in the incubators. I read a really interesting article quite a while ago about that. Apparently, started on Coney Island, <laughs> and it and it actually saved the lives of a lot of babies oh. because you had these preemies that needed a lot of care and were really expensive. And this doctor in Coney Island made it into an attraction that people would pay to see. And as a result, they were able to give all these preemies um, extra care and buy incubators and buy equipment and all of that. And it actually ended up being something that lasted a really long time and was a way that they saved premature babies. Mm. Which, you know... Considering healthcare in the United States right now, we probably should have never done away with it. I didn't realize that they were incubators or that there was some sort of technology at work. I just thought they were putting babies in cupboards. (laughs) No, No, it was a big sign there. Okay. Incubators and stuff. I see. Yeah, well, that's a cool attention to detail then. Look at our cupboard Um, babies. Uh, there was a funeral for John Barleycorn, and it, I had flashbacks to, to Treme since there were men playing trombones, but these men were not black men because that would not be allowed. Uh, they were just white men with blackface. So yes. that was not good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, didn't, it looks like they didn't even try that hard either. <laughs> like, it was just like an oval over their face. Oh, well, yeah, no, they, they weren't. They didn't try to hide their jaws or anything. No, what's they the, weren't. What's the point of blackface in this concept? <laughs> context anyways like all it well because sure. um they're appropriating because, the culture without actually having the black person there which wouldn't you would not want well yeah and and it was yeah it they didn't try and cover everything a lot of times it was just it was like wearing a mask but it's just so <laughs> shitty it wasn't supposed to you weren't supposed to actually believe they were black yeah, yeah. it was it was evoking it's a goof the, yeah it's like mocking you know, they're not supposed to be striving for authenticity. Well, it, it, case it's, it's certainly it's, not paying homage. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, also, the the funeral was for a whiskey bottle, so. Did you yes. guys, right. Did, did you guys think those babies were uh, animatronic? I think they were. I wasn't sure. Oh, yeah. A couple of them were for sure, but yeah. I didn't know the first baby. Yeah, I... I they didn't look real to me at all. But then again, of course, a, you know, a preemie might not look all that real. But yeah. but they're oh. not going to use real preemies for this. I would I hope not. Yeah. I would hope not. That would be important. <laughs> could you imagine? Get in there, kid. You're going to be a star. Could you imagine the casting call? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> we want your child on the verge of death to please can we come re- in and be an extra. 
Can we rip your child from your womb early? <laughs> Can we take the, your child from its incubator and put it in this shittier incubator? <laughs> yeah. I'm posting photos of the incubators on our Facebook group. So if you're listening to this, you want to see some some preemies and c- cupboards, come to the Facebook group. <laughs> Weird. All right. Um, Babette Supper Club was an actual place. It operated from the early 1920s, uh, through 1950. The bar was designed like a ship's hull. In the back room was a gambling den, which was investigated by the federal authorities and raided in 1943. And here's some good news. This will make you feel good. That the Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino now occupies the site. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel real good. Also, also out of business. I'm pretty sure that they tore it down. The Plaza Hotel, is that the one in Home Alone 2? No, that's still in existence. That's off uh, Central Park, right? Oh. Yeah, that's uh, it's been turned into condos now. But uh, the, you Is said the Plaza really? Hotel or the Ritz Carlton? The Ritz Carlton hasn't been. The Plaza has. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, yeah. I think I was probably I managed to get there. We have some very wealthy friends, and they uh, rented the penthouse at the Plaza when Alex was little, and uh, I got to see the penthouse at the plaza which was pretty cool and um it was like it's like it went on forever i was like how much does this cost of course i didn't say that but uh yeah it was it was uh pretty amazing but i'm pretty sure it's all condos now but the ritz carlton is not can i help you perhaps will you come with me jimmy it's okay dude what's this about Fine, I'll see you at home. Thank you, ma'am. Distinguished Service Cross, Battle of Saint. How'd you say this? Miel. Seems to me you're a man on the come. I'm doing all right. College man, too. Princeton. For a while. Mind trouble or something? Guilty conscience? You mind telling me what a go-getter like you is doing working for a crook like Thompson? It's not like that. Mr. Thompson is a pillar of our community. Yeah, tell it to Sweeney. We know all about him and his little fiefdom. The election rigging, the graft. None of which we're interested in. What are you interested in? Liquor. It's illegal importation and manufacture. How'd you like to come work for the Bureau? I got a bum leg. Suppose I say you don't. The wife, young son at home. It's an honorable profession, James. Plenty of room for advancement. It's a godly pursuit. So while the people in Atlantic City are celebrating Prohibition because they're going to make a lot of money, we see the centurions for the modern age training these fbi agents one of whom is played by michael shannon his name is uh character's name is nelson van alden he turns out to be quite a kook on the show (laughs) michael shannon and the actor who plays eli's brother or enoch's brother eli were in a film together called take shelter it's a really good film what's it about it is about a guy who starts building a fallout shelter in his backyard and his family and friends think he's crazy. 
but he feels like there's an apocalypse about to happen. He's, he has visions of like the end of the world, so he starts building a bomb shelter. I'm going to assume he is correct in his visions. I will not say if he is or not, because it's, it's also his uh, family has a history of mental illness. Oh. So he's like, are these visions real, or am I going crazy like my dad went crazy? So it's a really good movie. The fun thing watching this pilot is that I know where all these characters end up, and some of them have really good arcs, like Margaret, who is the, played by Kelly McDonald. She starts as this beaten housewife and then becomes a really morally ambiguous character, kind of the way that Carmela Soprano was on The Sopranos. Mm. Mm. She get together with Nucky. Yeah, I don't think it's too spoilery to say that she becomes involved with Nucky and benefits from his influence and his crime, and now she becomes complicit in his, in his crime and how she then tries to extricate herself from it and deal with it. And Oh, Charlie Cox is on this show. Yeah, I forgot about that. From Daredevil. Oh, yeah. Where was he? Uh, he doesn't show up until like oh. season two or three. So Nucky's uh, dead wife, was that just like a Deadwood production still? I don't know. I can't recall. <laughs> Did you notice who it no. was? No, who was Alma. it? Alma. Was it? Yes! Was it really? Yes! Well, I'm kicking myself now. Look at it right now. Open the file. I'm going to. I'm going to. Yes, sure. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> we were like, what the? She's in this? <laughs> Man, that would have been great. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was her. Yeah, it was her. So I that would have been probably when she goes to visit his office, right? Oh, yeah. no, wait. No, there's... He's looking at the, his... Oh, 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 I got it, I got it. It's when he's in bed with uh, yeah. Lucy Danzinger. Yes, that is that does look like her. That's totally her. Look like her, or it is her? I don't know. It. I thought it was her. It, it, it looks a lot like her, but I also feel like there could be a certain type of woman classically featured. That mm-hmm. look like her. We're looking again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this this was more uh, exciting than the other show. I thought it was better, just better made in general, better paced. It's hard to beat Scorsese. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, the costumes are fun. The I mean, the violence is surprising and shocking when it happens. Like it, it always. That kicks things up a notch. So there's a tension there because it's life and death stakes. Yeah, I thought the the final sequence. Well, not the maybe it's not the final sequence, but when you see the the highway robbery, the bushwhacking happen again, mm-hmm. but it's set. It's like it's edited so that it keeps cutting back and forth between him and uh, I think it's Eddie Cantor doing the jokes like the really corny my wife my girl is so dumb jokes yeah yes is that no. who it's supposed to be I, I was wondering it... whether it was I was going through different um different comedians in my head as to who who it would be and it also kept cutting to the FBI people so I thought maybe they were in the woods watching this whole thing yeah they they set it up that way so we yeah, yeah. that yeah yeah I just thought the the cutting back and forth was really clever. Sort of like mm-hmm. on the one hand, everyone's enjoying with levity and it's fun and they're, they're drinking and isn't it cool to be doing this secret thing? And on the other hand, this is the price that's being paid. Mm-hmm. 
because it's illegal now. So people are dying and being betrayed and whatnot and shot and killed. And it's kind of that deer's fault for jumping out and startling uh, Al Capone. <laughs> yeah. It is not. Al Capone would have been... <laughs> Spooky probably, deer. Yeah. Probably would have killed him anyway. He was not a nice man. Why did they kill the Italian guy? Was it Were they just going to blame it on him? That's what I... You know, I had the same question. And I'm, I'm guessing that he was the most expendable. He was the least powerful of like them. The f- the fall guy for the, the fall crime. guy yeah yeah that's kind of what i had assumed that both of the guys that got killed were fall guys in the whole thing so when you were looking at the picture of uh, the lady were you looking at uh 16 minutes and something or 17 minutes around there yeah oh, okay that's yeah and i posted it in the facebook group oh okay i also think that this pilot because it has lots of sets you know, it has the Babette Supper Club, which is a big set, and Nucky's hotel that he lives in, and just there's there's lots of environments, you know, to keep it really interesting. It's full of color and texture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Atlantic City at, at that time was um, so popular. You know, it it was it was the playground for New York City and Philadelphia. Um, you know, people didn't go to the Caribbean. And stuff. They, you know, there weren't flights out every few minutes to take you to some exotic place. They go to Cuba on this show. Oh, I'm yeah. Cuba people did go yeah. to, but I mean, N- it was Nucky has a uh, has some dealings in Cuba, and they do a short little arc where he goes to Cuba. It's one of those th- things I was talking about. The show feeling bigger, but it did take a lot to get a lot more to get to Cuba than it did to Atlantic City. Now a flight to Cuba doesn't take all that much longer than it, a car trip down to Atlantic City takes. When uh, when they were trying to work out their uh, dealings, it just it, like it just boggles my mind how people price items and like make a profit off of them because like so somebody had to make the Canadian Club whiskey, they had to sell it to the people who were exporting it out of Canada. They had to sell it at a profit to whoever's that guy, the fishing boat guy. That guy had to sell it to Nookie at a profit. Nookie had to sell it to the guys from away for a profit. Then they have to sell it to their patrons for a profit. Like, it's like this, like, how many times does it get marked up? <laughs> Lots. Yeah. And the people at the very beginning are the ones who make it, make the least amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. I'm short on time, Mickey. What do you want to show me? So much for the niceties. (laughs) My factory, gentlemen. Quite an operation. Ten shiners, two shifts, 24 hours a day. Got a figure of putting out close to 2,000 crates a week. And that's just for starters. <laughs> None of this is legit. Not once they get through with it. One part real, eight parts water. You heat it up, let it cool, then add your alcohol to bring up your proof. Where do you get your alcohol? Potatoes. You let them ferment. <laughs> it smells rough, but compared to a stiff, it's fucking lilacs. <laughs> After you add the alcohol, you throw in your... Caramel coloring, your oil of rye, bourbon, depending on what you want. 
You can make scotch too? Naturally. You just gotta add some carbonyl though, for the bead. What's that? Bubbles. Higher the proof. More bead it's supposed to have. Come on. Bottoms up. Oh yeah, does the kid, um, I assume that pretty much everybody in Atlantic City is a made-up character. Is that true? Oh, you're asking about Jimmy Darmody, if he's made up? Yeah, him and all the rest. I assume they're all made-up characters. I I think so. Yeah, fictional character. Yeah. His mother, played by Gretchen Maul, <laughs> she's a real piece of work on this show. Oh, yeah? Ugh, I love her. She she is a straight-up kook. I assume that he ends up being a major player. For a minute, when they when they grabbed the the kid at the end and took him out to the boat and all of that i wasn't sure who it was and uh and i thought oh wow they're throwing a a curveball where they're having this kid jimmy get whacked after making it seem like you know he's going to be a major focus of the show you, you you mixed up the tall lanky redheaded guy with jimmy I just saw some, they just grabbed some white kid with a hat on. I, you know, I didn't see red hair or anything like that. Uh-huh. I just, he was, he was a young white kid. And, uh. But he was coming out of the houses where the, that family lived, I guess. But. I don't know. I don't know where he was coming out of or, <laughs> or what. I, I didn't know who it was that they, that they pulled. So. When they identified him at the end, it was like, oh, okay, so it wasn't... I wasn't sure who it was, whether it was Jimmy or whether it was somebody else. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, that was interesting how they, like, he wanted like he wanted to get back at what what's-her-face's husband uh, for beating her, but he also used it to, like, uh, pin that job on him as well, somehow. Yeah, like, t- took care of two problems at once. Oh, that was the guy, that was the husband? Yeah. Oh, I know, I didn't even put that together. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know who that was. I thought it was maybe the kid in the, um, the, the kid who had driven the, the car who'd been in the middle of the road or something. Oh, I had no idea who was, it was. That was Hans. Oh, that was her husband. Okay. Yeah, he got what he deserved. <laughs> The the little girl was it a girl who was crying when oh, yeah. it was do like, that. How did they how did they make that girl do that? I assume her mom was in the corner doing something she really didn't like. Oh, because that was a really good performance by that little child. I know it was heartbreaking. Maybe that little child looks like that all the time, and they just got for a few uh, minutes they got her smiling. But I mean, but they made it. They made her say "mama" and stuff like. So I assume her mom was doing something off screen. Or all for some kids all it would take is her mom going around a corner. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, that's not the greatest way to raise a kid, but mm. I've got some feedback from Harold Mel. Why don't you read this one? Sure, just a sec. I have never seen either of these shows before, but have long been curious about both of them because of their creative teams. For starters, setting a show in Atlantic City during Prohibition was a great choice. Racketeers, G-men, crooked cops, and corrupt politicians. It has them all! 
I love the boardwalk setting, the period costumes, and Nucky's Rolls Royce. And I have to give bonus points to any show that manages to sneak in a fatty Arbuckle cameo. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The ultimate question is whether I would watch another episode. And my answer is that I would. And in fact, I already watched the first three. (laughs) 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 My only negative comments are, I didn't much care for Michael Pitt as Jimmy, who was essentially the second lead in the pilot. He wasn't a very interesting actor, to the point where I was surprised that he survived the episode. I thought he was going to be a red shirt. And instead, we only get a few seconds of Michael K. Williams? That was not a good decision. They should have found a way to get him more screen time in this episode. I was further surprised to see that he didn't even make a cameo in episode two. That is all. Uh, that's all he wrote. Uh, Michael that Kenneth Williams all... plays who... Chalky White. Who was Chalky White? The no Chalky idea. White guy? He <laughs> <laughs> was the opposite of Chalky White. Uh, there were quite Chalky a few White ch- guy. There were no, quite a few Chalky White guys. He He's the guy been... who was waiting in the office that said he didn't have all day? Yeah. Right. Oh, him. Did he say Jimmy's not in the second episode? Or is no, he no he's saying Chalky White. Oh, Chalky White's, White's, White's not in the second episode. Uh, is he in Chucky, any other episode? <laughs> yeah, he's got a fair bit to do in the show. Probably more or less than Jimmy. I'm not going to say, but um, he's got he's got a lot to do. He becomes more important as the show goes on. I don't believe you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have to agree with him about the actor. I, I, um, I wasn't overly impressed. Just as he said it, he wasn't very interesting. He always wasn't seems he was sleepy actor, to me. Huh? Like, the actor always comes across as kind of sleepy. Yeah, me. he's, he's not very dynamic. Right. He, uh, was on Hannibal for three episodes. Played Mason Verger. Oh, oh right! I knew, I knew he, he was familiar. Nose. But, but then he uh, was replaced the following season by Joe Anderson. Mm. Well, you didn't need to have the same actor because his face was yeah, gone. His face was <laughs> gone. Yes. But that at least, I remember that performance being um, appropriately over the top. and Yeah. Right. I, I'm delicious. Fun. You know, <laughs> like was. he. <laughs> it's so good. In uh. this, he was kind of a cold fish. But in that, he had more screen presence. He was also playing a veteran in this, so maybe he's seen shit, man. True. What are you off your nut? Well, you didn't drink that piss, I did. Oh, you're still breathing, aren't you? Yeah, so is he. That's the problem. He's still breathing. He's part of my operation, kid. You don't need him. What do you know about it? What's with you? Don't tell me it's your goddamn stomach. Wanna know what's with me? Honestly? Yeah. Patty Ryan. You really expect me to go work for that Mick? You'd rather be my driver? Of course not, Nuck. It's just you, you make Ryan clerk, I can run rings around that chump. Oh, listen to Bonnie Prince Charlie. Come on, Nuck. You were assistant sheriff when you were my age. And for eight years prior, I spent night and day kissing the Commodore's ass. I've been kissing your ass since I was 12. Well, what about the last three years? I wanted to serve my country. And nearly get yourself killed. Did it ever occur how your girl might feel about that? Your little boy? Look, if that was my faith, then so be it. And he wants to be in politics. You know who dies for their country, kid? Fucking rubes, that's who. Yo, well, I'm home now, Nuck. So how about it? Had you stayed in school, it'd have been you in that job, not Ryan. All right, so you're punishing me. Is that it? 
You're punishing I'm telling you to slow down. Get the lay of the land. You've been home now, what, a month? Nucky, I'm not the same kid that left. I've seen things. I've done things. Well, how are we going to keep you down on the farm? I'm serious. I know. All right, look. That's a thousand bucks. Go buy yourself a decent suit. I don't suit. want your money. Fella hands you a grand, you tell him to fuck himself? You're a pip kid, I gotta say. Nucky, all I want is an opportunity. This is America, ain't it? Who the fuck's stopping you? Well, Harold, if you keep watching the show, uh, I would like some... some. Uh, why don't you post your thoughts on the Facebook group? You can, you, They can be spoilery if they're on the Facebook group. That's what I'd say. Um, does anyone have any other notes? Oilers allowed. Let's see. Set of things in traction. Oh, I thought it was interesting um, the way... Well, they did bring the Jewish conspiracy into... It was interesting how they brought that in, connecting Henry Ford to the whole Jewish conspiracy thing, international Jewish conspiracy, and that they brought it into the whole mafia. Um, I mean, here you've got these organized crime guys, and they're still looking at the the same kind of crap that, uh, you know, that is being peddled in, um, in other places. It's just, I thought that was kind of ironic. Um, and I thought it was interesting the way, uh, the whole dynamic when, um, Nucky is like calming down these, these gangsters in his business and was, is acting a little shocked that, uh, that these guy, that this guy is acting the way he is, um, in his establishment and, and acting like he's going to attack him right in the, in the middle of the establishment. And then a few minutes later, he just pounds, um, the domestic abuser's head into the, into the table. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a nice, a nice dynamic of, Oh, it's not that he has any problem with violence and stuff. It's just not in that particular situation. Mm. What did you think of Mickey Doyle? The guy goes, ah! the <laughs> <laughs> That's the same guy that was in uh, House of Cards, the writer. Yes. Oh. Uh, he was, uh, uh, <laughs> his little, um, what do you call those? Are they inflections? I don't know. That, they were funny. It, 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 it would amuse me. Yeah, I thought that was funny. It was weird, but funny. You got that? You got Jimmy to drink formaldehyde, though. That's probably like uh, carcinogen. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That wasn't cool. Right. Immediately led to violence. What was he expecting? It was just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ugh. So strange. Okay. Should we oh, rate oh, it? Oh 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 oh! Okay. One other thing. One other thing, real quick. I thought it was really interesting that um, there was almost a callback to The Godfather in that um, they had pretty much the same thing. Nucky said the same thing to um, Dan, D- Danny, is that the right? Yeah, Jimmy? Jimmy. 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 Uh, that they tell Michael in The Godfather when he comes back from World War II. You can't be half a, or no, wait, Jimmy told him that. No, he was saying, they were saying to him, you know, uh, why did you go off? He says he's, he wanted to 
defend his country or something like that. And it was like, no, you stay and you, you help your family. That's, that's just, you're be, just being a chump doing that. Why did, you know, yeah. why did you do that? That's, um, you know, your family needs you, that kind of thing. And, uh, there's the same kind of, uh, thing is told to, um, Michael mm-hmm. at the beginning of The Godfather that, uh, he should have, he should have stayed and, uh, taken care of things with the family. That that's, that's where his loyalties lie, not his country. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That was just something that hit me when I was watching it. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one! decide what to rate it initially i was going to go with a nine but i'm i can't really think of anything wrong with it uh it moves at a good clip there's the sets are great costumes music performances i feel like we meet a lot of characters as many as we do in treme but i understand all these characters a lot more their motivations and what makes them you know uh-huh. tick and um I lo- really like all the little touches like with the editing. Like I already talked about that sequence at the end where they would cut back and forth between the comedy routine and the violence. Um, yeah, this is like a really tight pilot. So I'm just, I'll give it 10 out of 10 politically incorrect boxing matches. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. The uh, rating, not the boxing match. <laughs> uh, I liked it too. Um, I can't rate it 10 out of 10 just because, I don't know. It's, when it's your introduction introduction to the characters and settings and stuff, it always feels a little bit like it's uh, like you're trying to get in. Like you're like very rarely has a, like a pilot ever like made me feel uh, completely comfortable with the entire premise and everything right away. That's fair. So, I'll give it a like a nine out of ten uh, preemie cabinets. No, <laughs> I guess I could have docked some point, like a, like a half a point or something for the um, Lucky Luciano, Arnold Rothstein kind of stuff. All the kind of strategizing between the Chicago, New York mobster, like mobster stuff in general, doesn't interest me. Mm. And I probably said that when we covered The Sopranos, but I found that kind of a not. It didn't take up too much running time. And I liked that Arnold Rothstein was winning at uh, gambling. And that's when Nucky had to come in and be like, hey, I just don't have that much money. So, uh, but as a friend, I'll let you have, all, you know, you can have all this liquor. <laughs> at a price. At a price. 60000 which seemed like uh, Rothstein couldn't afford. He was like, oh, that's pretty steep. Well, he could after he won 93000 from the guy later. Was he counting cards or something? How was he cheating? Um, he, there's any number of ways. It depends on what he was playing. He could have, he could have been a sleight of hand guy. Yeah. 
He could have had a guy sitting across the table looking at his opponent's cards giving him, and then giving him little uh, cues, like in a certain uh, mission on Red Dead Redemption, too. <laughs> he could have had a, uh, depending on who was dealing, he could have had some kind of little thing. Some show or another had a guy with a, a polished ring, where as he was dealing, he could see what the, the cards were that he was dealing. Or maybe, just maybe, he's an alien. Yeah, well, that's the other Probably thing. Probably the plausible yeah. explanation. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, there's a lot of ways to cheat in cards. And uh, if, you know, and they were pretty sure he was cheating, which would make sense. I mean, he is a criminal. There's no reason why. And he indicated that that was, that playing cards was his thing. So, yeah, one would think that he probably was cheating. Um, Should I go now? If you'd like to. All right. Um, I have to agree with Harold on the, I wish Jimmy was played by a more dynamic actor. Um, I would have liked to have had a little bit more personality and stuff. But other than that, the casting seemed really good and it, it was, it was a very tight pilot. Um, I would say the difference between this and Treme was that through line that we were talking about, the plot, there was a specific plot that was going on and um and all the characters were connected in some way or another even if they were not at the beginning i mean the fact that the abused wife came to talk to uh Bushemi, um you know brought her into the storyline you know so you didn't have in Treme you had pairs of people all kind of separate um there really wasn't anything that connected them other than the fact that they all lived in New Orleans. Here, they were definitely, there were all connections. So you got a much clearer view of what was going on. Um, just because of the that one actor and stuff, I'm going to go with, um, I'll still go with a nine. Nine domestic abusers sleeping with the fishes. <laughs> Literally. Literally. I liked it. I would watch another episode. Uh, So would I, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, the characters were fun. The whole thing was pretty fun. I don't know why everything's been said. Nine out of ten, liquor lips. (laughs) Is that a reference to that poem? Yeah, I think they mentioned liquor lips around that time when they were talking about the poem. They used to say, what? Lips that touch liquor will never touch, touch mine. mine. Right. <laughs> liquor lips. Uh. <laughs> you got some liquor lips there, Mel? <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that averages out to a 9.25. Um, that's a top three show for us. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are the other two? We still like John Adams the most at a 9.5, and after that, the number one ladies' detective agency at a 9.38. Agreed. Yeah, that I'm sounds good. I agree with myself on both those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like both of those. Oh, I wanted to mention that I love Eddie, the German butler. Get me up, cowboy. Lucy, stop, stop saying that. Come on, Daddy. Giddy up, cowboy. Lucy, stop! What? With the cowboy shit, it's distracting. Nucky, come on. 
Want diamonds on the wire. Oh, Christ. What? All right. He is always interrupting us. Jeez Louise. What? Screaming! We were fucking, Eddie. Fucking! Or manservant that Nucky <laughs> has? Yes. Um, he's... He's such a cute character. Yeah. Um, and I really like him. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Oh, I, that's probably why I like him so much. A little bit Richardson? Yes. Uh, yes. You just, you just love these Richardson servants. In the... Aww. I love a domestic. I just like yeah. these adorable, clueless people. <laughs> well, you know. Who kind of get berated. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think in a way, you know, you've got... if. If Eddie can be so interesting, and you can say oh, when as when you mention his name, all of us went, "Yeah, yeah," you know. Yeah. And here you've got this guy Jimmy playing Jimmy, and we all are like, "Ah, oh, yeah, yeah." It, you know, he's been through some traumatic stuff and all of that. He should have, and he's ambitious. He should have some fire to him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe the actor or the director. Well, maybe somebody <laughs> thought that he should just be dull. Because he's been through a lot. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you want to know what we're covering next time? Sure. Podcast. Oh. We'll be talking about part one of a five-part miniseries called Mildred Pierce. Oh. Oh. Which stars Kate Winslet. Oh. And is another <laughs> period drama. Um, I'm not sure what year that takes place. I want to say it's... Originally, it was a movie starring Joan Crawford, wasn't it? It certainly yeah. was. Mm-hmm. And she didn't she did she win the Oscar for it or was she nominated for it? I think she did. I think she may have won it. If not won it, she was nominated. Yeah. No, you know what? She probably didn't win it because I think Betty Davis was able to lord the Oscar thing over her. Or maybe maybe because Betty Davis had won twice. Well, the novel spans nine years from nineteen thirty one to nineteen forty. It won her the Academy Award. For Best Actress. Okay. Okay. So she had one and Betty Davis had two. That's why. Okay. I thought I thought she had won it for yeah. Mildred Pierce. Yeah. Okay. So Mildred Pierce. Yep. And uh, the first episode of a little show, not very popular, Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. you're kidding. Okay. That one I've already seen the first episode of. It was, it was uh, interesting. <laughs> it was great. She said great or rape, because either one would apply. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Both. I saw the first, I don't know how many, I saw the first, like, five, six episodes, maybe. That was it for Game of Thrones. We probably won't be recording next month. Uh, I'm also moving next month, hopefully. Oh, um, oh all right. So I will have plenty to do to occupy my time. Also, the holidays coming up. Uh, but hopefully we can record kind of toward the middle of January. It would be great. Okay. Um, is this a good move or a bad move? This—it's a mixed move, but overall, it's going to save me a lot of money. Oh, okay. Saving money is good. Yeah, that's that's the key. How yeah. far are you moving? <clears throat> I'm moving to a town called Brentwood, which is still in the Bay Area. 
It's a longer commute for me. It's a smaller space, but I'll be saving $700 a month. Wow. Wow. So I can't really say no to that. No. How much longer commute? Nearly double, unfortunately. It's probably going to be from 25 minutes to 40 minutes one way. Oh, well. Is it hard to find apartments? Since I already... Yes. Yeah. Since I already commute like 45 minutes to an hour every day, I can't really, you know... And hey, this past Friday, it was five hours to get home. Whoa, so, five hours. Wow. It, That's gross. That was, driving? driving? That was the, yeah, that was the night of the Nor'easter. That's gross. Yeah. Oh, is that happening now? Yeah, yeah we, had, we had a snowstorm. We had our first Nor'easter uh, of the season. It's too early. Past Friday. It's way too early. Usually we don't get a storm until December, I would say. Yeah, we... We've been having weird weather for the last few years. Yeah. Um, and uh, luckily we did not have, because two or three years in a row we had a Halloween storm, which we'd never had before. Mm-hmm. And we had one, like, two or three years in a row, uh, big ice storms, you know, real nasty stuff, electricity off for days on end, lack of petrol, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but this year... We had a nor'easter on Friday, which was not a horrible, you know, it was bad storm, but it wasn't like we have had. The problem was, it was one of those really, really awful things where the snowstorm starts in the middle of the workday, and so it's fine all morning, so nobody calls off anything, and nobody says, oh, you know, the weather's getting bad, so go home early, and as a result... The whole New York metropolitan area was just choked with people trying to get home. And I don't know of anybody who had any distance at all to go that didn't take four to five hours to get home on Friday night. It was really, really... I just sat trying to get out of the little tiny town I work in. I just was sitting for half an hour at a time at a traffic... You know, at a crossroads. You know, just not moving. It was... And then... Then slipping and sliding. It was it was awful. So, yep. Welcome winter. Mm. Yeah. My state's on fire at the moment. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. When, it, when is it not? Is the question. Yeah, but you've got a lot of people dying, and oh, mm-hmm. it's really uh, it's very you know. The list of missing is over a thousand at this point, isn't it? Yeah. yeah it's over thirteen hundred. Oh, it's up to thirteen hundred now. Oh, jeez. Uh-huh. And seventy six dead. Billions of dollars in damage. And the frightening thing is that this feels like the new normal because I've been here three years and last year and then this year they've both had really bad fires. Yeah. Because the air is just, there's no moisture in the air. Yeah. It goes so long without rain that, like, I don't, I don't, I can't see a scenario when there isn't a fire every year, at least a couple fires every year. Maybe you, you skip a year, but. Well, I mean, there's always been fires. In California, but I don't think there's been the kind of fires that you guys have had the last couple of years. You know, it's just, they're just getting so much worse. Yes. And this time, whole towns were just wiped off the map. Yeah. They were yeah. talking about paradise, mm-hmm. pictures of paradise where the, the houses were just gone. Right. And, you know, it's like, and there were people commenting, well, that looks like a doctored photo because the trees are still there. It's oh like, yeah, the trees are still standing. You can't tell whether there's anything left on the trees because of the smoke, you know, 
in the way and everything, and the houses are totally demolished. But, you know, that's what happens. Yeah. Well, fire, the way the fire moves and whips around some buildings but leaves other, you know, destroys others, like it. Yeah. But like tornadoes and stuff, you know, where they, they have this weird. And nature is very fickle, it just does stuff. And there's no, you know, there's no telling how it's going to come out. <sighs> but, yeah. It's just getting yeah. worse. Yeah. Well, I'm so move sorry about that. Move to Canada, Matt. Move to Canada. How's your air quality, I'd Matt? I'd love to move to Canada. <laughs> uh, it was terrible uh, last week. Yeah, I heard that the Bay Area air quality is like the worst the, in the world right now. Yeah, that's true. Uh, supposedly on Tuesday, it's going to get better with the rains coming. It's going to disperse the, the whatever, the miasma that's lingering over the area. So Something I Something heard- like being outside in San Francisco is the equivalent of smoking 11 cigarettes. Oh, my God. And I had heard that, I thought that the really bad drought that you guys had been having for so long had broken, but now they're talking about it as though it never did break. No. Did I I hear wrong? It rained here for like six hours, like a light rain two months ago. Oh, good grief. (laughs) Um, And then before that, it hadn't rained since March, maybe. Wow. It's been months, months and months and months without rain. Oh, wow. And here it's been raining all since last, since the spring. It rained just every, it's, it feels like it's been raining almost every day for the last eight months. And, uh, somebody who moved here from St. Louis, um, last winter, all through the summer, she kept saying to me, when is it going to stop raining? Mm. And, uh, I said, well, you know, in, on the East Coast here, especially, you know, in this area, you never can tell what the weather's going to be like from, I mean, you know, it's going to be cold in the winter and hot in the summer, but quite honestly, it could rain or it could just dry up and we don't have any rain at all. It could be super hot or it could be actually a fairly cool summer. It could be a warm winter. It could be a frigid winter. You know, we just never know. It's, you know, just one of those things. The weather is just very, very unpredictable here but it's just it's just been rainy and damp i you know it's, it's weird what's going on hmm. well find us at hooplecast at hooplecast.com <laughs> you can cut all this out right uh i may or may not i think people like a little peek in our inside <laughs> of our lives so it makes us feel real to them like we're not professionals i just wish i could send some of this water to california i guess that's mm-hmm. my my point i don't want it to seem like i'm well, complaining about here's the, the th- here's the thing know. the the rain is well, a mixed blessing here uh because when it it'll be good here but on the fire well yes it will dampen the fire it's also going to make um rescue uh and sort of like recovery efforts uh, more difficult they're worried about like bone fragments washing away stuff like that you know where they could use to identify victims so yeah. it's that's going to make it's a mixed blessing, I guess, and then possible mudslides and things. So, oh yeah. Here's the thing: like when I moved here to begin with, uh, uh, first year, there, the rains were so heavy over the winter that we had bridges like washed out, and yeah, yeah. dams were like overflowing. Or maybe that right. was the second year, but like the rains, the rains was just so heavy that flooding was a real concern. Right. And then, then now it's fires and the lack of rain. It's just from one extreme to the other. It just doesn't. Yeah. It's not. Nothing's normal. Now. Yeah, 
I guess that's my point too. On this coast, nothing is normal, and and it, it, you know, the whole thing of hearing about the fires there—it's just—it's so horrendous, and uh, and you feel like there's so little that we can do to to like help you guys. You know, mm-hmm. you're on the other side of the country, and I'm always worried that if the conditions are ripe for a fire in one place, and our resources are now near uh, Chico in Northern California. Like, what happens if there's a spark here? Right, right. Uh, you know, it's yeah. just... Yeah. It's a tinderbox. Like, yeah. it's, it's awful. And I don't see... People talking about, like, we're going to rebuild, we're going to rebuild. Like, okay, but should you? Because it just, it seems like, well, is there any place that's safe? Yeah. Canada. I guess that's your answer. We're all going to Canada. And even we're not always totally safe, but... You should still move here. <laughs> <laughs> I, mm. Lord knows I've thought about it. Yeah. I, um, bet, I bet I bet a lot of you have. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Definitely. Definitely. You know what? Have. Where it's it's you know, I know like it's all like the Trump stuff and whatever, but like we're not far behind you guys. We'll eventually probably get our own Trump. It's gonna go the other way. Probably, but you got you've got a certain number of institutions in place. Yes, that you seem pretty fond of, like your healthcare system, among other things. Mm, um, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I doubt that you're going to repeal it anytime soon. No. Um, and we can't. We, you know, it just with ours. You know, certain segments of our government are just so intent on destroying what little healthcare progress we make. Yeah. And now, you know, they, they want to get rid of our entire safety net. You know, yeah. what little safety net the United States has, they want to get rid of. Yeah. So Greedy yeah. motherfuckers. Mm. Find us yeah. at hooplecast.com or uh-huh. go on to Facebook and search for Hooplecast. Uh, Twitter at Hooplecast. I retweet Deadwood things sometimes. And send us feedback, hooplecast at gmail.com. Yeah. All right. We don't have a, an official sign-off for this podcast, or do we? Matthew. We do. It's Fuck You. <laughs> that one was one of the best ones, I think. And, and then done. I jump then I jump off something and break my neck. I have to do that every time we record. Break your neck? Yeah. He has to hang himself every time. <laughs> he, he hasn't had five he hasn't had over five drinks yet though, so I would say maybe it's not quite the right time. So you're not confirmed yet. Step nine, that's when you kill yourself. Right. <laughs> Charité, ta même petite patate, une patate de gratons. Les mardis gras sont sur la 
parents, le monde de la charité. Comme un petit saint pour le mec, il trop ton maïs. Charité, pour les autres, les besoins, pour les autres, les 